0: Mark 5, starting at verse 21, it's God's word. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogues, Jairus by name. And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him saying, uh, earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And immediately, the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Incredible story, right? Um, So much in there for us to think about. Um, It's another one of these sandwiches in the Gospel of Mark. We've, We've come across one of these before. Where there's a story within a story, and I don't know if you picked that up, uh, but Jesus was going off to visit the the sick young girl, and then there was a, another uh, woman that came up to him, and so there was a story within a story. And, and what we're seeing here this morning, as we look at this story within a story, is the enormous importance of faith in Jesus. Um, we, we've been seeing, haven't we, through the Gospel of Mark so far that that. that Mark is showing us the identity of Jesus. That is who he is. Uh, He's been been showing us his authority, right? His his power over uh, over the wind and the waves, over sickness, uh, and we see even over death. And he's been been showing us Jesus' mission to to, to show and tell the kingdom of God. But but all all of this is always uh, wrapped up, I suppose, or, or includes this call, follow me, follow me, Put your faith in me. Come to me. There's this call to to his original hearers and to us today to to listen to Jesus and to trust him and to put our faith in him. And when we do that, wonderful things happen. And so we'll see that this morning, the the great role of faith and how faith uh, plays a part in everything. Uh, Faith in Jesus. So we're going to see, number one, faith in Jesus turns, number one, shame into shalom. All right. Secondly, we'll see that faith in Jesus turns sorrow into celebration, and thirdly, we'll see faith in Jesus turns our pract our potential, sorry, our potential into performance. All right. So faith in Jesus turns number one shame into shalom. Um, Jesus, as we, we saw in this text, was off to the house of a man called Jairus, who, who it turns out is uh, one of the leaders of the synagogue, the synagogue ruler. And, and yet Jesus is interrupted on the way. And he's interrupted by uh, this woman. We see her uh, appearing in verse 25 and 26. Uh, we don't know her name. She's a woman. That's all we know at this stage. Uh, and it says that she's been suffering with what the Bible um, calls a discharge of blood for 12 years. Right, Uh, and through that time, we're told uh, she sought help from all the usual places. Um, She went to doctors and physicians and and whoever could potentially help her. And yet, as Mark shows us uh, or tells us, she suffered much under many physicians. She spent all her money, and she was no better. In fact, says Mark, she got worse. So here we have this woman who's in this completely desperate state. Her her life, we could say, was completely controlled by this bleeding disorder that she had. This constant uh, gynecological blood loss. Um, And from from, uh, my perspective in the medical field, uh, a woman who would have something like this, particularly over such a long period of time, would likely be very profoundly uh, anemic. You know, loss of chronic, chronic loss of blood. Uh, She'd be very pale to look at. Uh, She'd be exhausted, no doubt. Uh, short of breath, probably unable to do even ordinary tasks without um, being depleted of her minor, uh, her, her small amount of energy throughout the day—a really desperate state. And today, of course, you know um, we'll be thinking about this later. But you know, there multiple treatments will be available for someone like her. You know, investigations, uh, tablets, hormone treatments, uh, medicines, and surgeries—all that is available today. But then. Obviously, uh, back in that era, absolutely nothing like that was available to them whatsoever. Uh, We could say that that this woman uh, and and everything in the the ages of scripture uh, was from the pre-scientific era, all right? So our own understanding of science and medicine and technology was completely non-existent uh, to these folks. And so uh, when when we're hearing about her going to see a physician or a doctor or something like that, most often, um, you know, the available help... Uh, would consist of a bunch of superstition uh, best guess and a few lotions and potions that sort of vaguely may or may not have helped um, at the time that's pretty much her options and her condition was bleeding but ironically she was being bled dry by the medical profession in her day as well and she'd completely exhausted all of her options And as Mark shows shows us, she just got worse and worse and worse and worse. So by the time she met Jesus, she's had 12 years taking out loans, borrowing money, seeing this person, seeing that person. Maybe he can help me. Maybe this school of thought can get me where I want to be. Desperate. But not only that, unfortunately for her, it got worse because according to the Old Testament law, um, somebody, a woman who is bleeding, uh, was considered to be ceremonially unclean. She could not enter the temple. Uh, she could not uh, give worship to God in that formal uh, sense of the word. And so um, she, for 12 years, was basically restricted from going to worship God, from going to the temple. She was considered to be unclean under the Old Testament ceremonial law. In fact, anybody who also came into contact with her would also themselves be unclean. Um ceremonial uncleanness had a sort of contagious um, impact I suppose we could say when we look at the Old Testament understanding of it so in summary we've got this woman who's completely isolated she's been excluded from the worshiping community and no doubt excluded from the community uh, in general Uh, she was poor because she spent all of her money trying to get fixed exhausted and utterly ashamed utterly ashamed you can see can't you how she approaches Jesus this is how she we know she's ashamed Look at how she approaches him. She's, she's in the crowds, hiding away among the masses. Uh, perhaps she thought to herself, I'll, I'll go, but there has to be a lot of people there. So I can just play it by ear. I can, I can view from afar, and if I want to, to get to know Jesus, I can maybe just sort of go a little further to hear him or something. But uh, the crowds provided great cover for her, and she obviously had no intention of engaging with Jesus or talking to him or anything. She'd, she'd, she had no need for an awkward conversation. She just wanted to get close enough to Jesus uh, so that she could touch him. It says in verse 27, she'd heard reports about Jesus. She'd heard that he was a, a healer of, of some kind. He was a kind man. She'd heard reports that he was a man of God, or maybe a prophet or something. Maybe he can help me. She'd never met him, and yet even in that early stage, we can see that she chose to to express the small amount of faith that she had based on what she heard. Maybe this man can help me. I must get to him. She had some sort of, like we could say maybe a nugget of faith or a seed of faith. And and what she knew, she chose to follow through with. Just need to get near him. Even his guard, if I could just touch his clothing, then maybe that's enough. I will be made well, she says. And there she is in verse 29 then trying to blend in and yet she reaches out from the crowd and, and manages to grab a, a clutch of his outer clothing, his coat or his garments, whatever he was wearing on that day. And it says there in verse 29, immediately, immediately, the flow of blood dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. That word disease could also be used to describe the effect of a, a whip on somebody's back, a scourge, an affliction. She was healed Of that scourge on her life. And it says, immediately she experienced the healing power of Jesus. But perhaps to her horror, so did Jesus. He experienced the healing power going out from him. In verse 30, he perceived that power had had gone out from him and he, he stopped in his tracks and turned around and said, Who's just touched my garments? Of course his disciples said don't don't be silly look look around you everybody's touching you jesus you're you're in huge crowds they all want a piece of you they had obviously no notion about what jesus experienced and what this woman had just experienced hidden as she was in the crowd and so it says in verse 33 for the first time in 12 years this woman stepped out from among the crowd the faceless sea of people and she showed herself her shame was gone it says in fear and trembling but she came to jesus she fell down before him and she she opened up she told her story she shared her need of him and why she did what she did and i love jesus responds to her in verse 34 he addresses her so tenderly he says he calls her daughter your faith has made you well go in peace be healed of your scourge of your disease so there she was healed restored Her her shame was gone. She could hardly believe what had just happened to her. And Jesus said, go in peace. The Hebrew word for peace, as you may know, is shalom. It it communicates this idea of wholeness, of, of restoration, of restored humanity. Peace. Go and enjoy shalom. Faith in Jesus turns shame into shalom. I suppose today what we could say of this uh, woman is that um, she, she, she suffered at that time, before she was healed, she suffered from what we would call today a chronic disease, a chronic condition perhaps. Um, it was something that whether she liked it or not, she, she wouldn't like it, uh, she had to live with it. Um, it was something she just had to get used to. It was like, it was like an unwelcome guest had moved into the house and um, never wants to pay the rent, could never get rid of the tenants. And so, modern medicine uh, today is exceptionally good. As you know, the, the, many of you have received it, some of you work in the, the fields yourself. Um, we, we today, in the 21st century, have a vast knowledge, a vast knowledge of, of, of diseases, of, of pathogens, of what causes diseases. And therefore, with our knowledge, we have highly developed treatments available to us we can cure some diseases that in this woman's day would have killed people we can cure them so they are gone no more they're gone completely uh, we can take life-threatening diseases and turn them into manageable conditions where we, we can live with it but it's not going to kill you a great example of that for example in my experience and our experience is uh, HIV uh, back when I was training for example uh, not that long ago uh, in, in medicine HIV was still, still a big deal, still a big thing. Uh, nowadays, and we're just talking 10 or 15 years later, HIV um, can be treated so effectively with, with our new drugs that the, the viral load of HIV in someone's body is, is undetectable when you do a test, which, which means that someone can live with, uh, I suppose, the diagnosis, but it, it, it changes nothing in their lives whatsoever. And so that's just one example of how uh, something terrible and, and, and back in the 80s, life-threatening, it was almost like a terminal disease, I suppose, can be uh, treated. And it's just wonderful. What a, what a gift such things are to, to us as people. Yet uh, so much uh, remains, though, with, with all of our modern technologies and all that available to us today, uh, remains uh, so many conditions that are difficult to treat, if not impossible, to deal with. Um, there, there are, let's face it, many things out there that are outside of the realm of, of, of medicine, outside of, of the reach of traditional medicine, giving tablets and doing surgery and all that stuff. There are many things that we cannot deal with, the medical profession cannot effectively deal with. That means that today uh, many people live with chronic conditions, chronic diseases, either physical symptoms that medicine just can't deal with or can't take away, or, or, or what we're seeing more and more prevalently, I suppose, and more and more awareness is, is, is mental health, psychological conditions, again, that people just have to somehow learn to deal with, learn to live with. And yet we've seen the effect in, in this scripture today already, the effect that chronic disease has on a person's uh, self-identity, I suppose, on, on creating shame. We, we see, as uh, with this woman here, hiding, burying herself, suffering in silence, uh, getting almost shunned. People don't understand. People are uh, unable to, to, to receive her. Um, maybe you can, can relate somehow to, to this yourself. Um, many of us do sort of bear sufferings and shame silently. And yet faith in Jesus, as we're seeing here, faith in Jesus turns our shame into shalom. You know, if Jesus were here, stood here right now in front of us, in this room, would Jesus heal you of your condition? Would he heal you? Well, I think, I think the answer has to be yes, of course he would. Of course he would heal you. And so, so perhaps for you, acting on that faith, even if that is a, a spark of faith or a nugget of faith or a seed of faith, acting on that faith that Jesus can heal you, might be for you your first step to achieving or receiving shalom. That peace, that wholeness, that restoration that that, that Jesus can give. Maybe you have heard about Jesus yourself and what he can do. Maybe you've even seen what he can do in your own life or in the lives of other people. Maybe you, like this woman, need to start to walk towards him in faith. Even if I just touch him, I will be made well. That's what she said. This is a great opportunity, of course, we'll be thinking about this in a few moments, but it's a great opportunity for us as the church, isn't it, to to minister effectively, um, to provide uh, because of our understanding of Jesus and and what he does, to provide to people, to needy, uh, broken people, holistic care, to, to point them to Jesus, to help them to come to him in faith and to be used by Jesus to offer healing and offer restoration. We can do this as a church. There, there are so many desperate people, both within the church and outside the church, who say, well, you know what, I'll give it a go. Uh, Jesus is it. I, I've wasted all of my money on all these other options. They've, they've bought me nothing, and I, I'm still dealing with this, 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 this shame, this chronic disease, or whatever it happens to be. I'll, I'll give him a try. He's my last resort. And we get to say as a church, no, no, Jesus isn't just it. Jesus is all. He's everything. He's everything. Come to him. Let me tell you about him, but let me show you the difference that he makes. Jesus can turn faith, sorry, uh, faith in Jesus can turn shame into shalom. We'll return to that idea in a few moments. But secondly, we see in this text that faith in Jesus turns sorrow into celebration. Um... This, this, this engagement with this woman who was healed of this bleeding was, was really a, an interruption in, the, in the, 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 the story outside that of Jesus going to the house of Jairus. Uh, so here we have in this second part then another person who was desperate, who came desperately to Jesus seeking help. Someone else who heard what Jesus could do, what he was about, uh, and who said to himself, Jesus is it. He's all I got. And as we've seen, his name is Jairus. He's the, the ruler of synagogue, it calls him, in verse 22. A very um, prestigious position within his, his community. Um, to be the ruler of the synagogue was to, to provide oversight and leadership of that place. It wasn't so much a theological or a teaching role, so to speak. he uh, was more of an organizer, more of a the strategy guy, you know, who looked after the, the running of the place, who brought in the visiting speakers, who got it done. His name was Jairus. Even the fact that we have his name here recorded for us is unusual most people in the gospel don't have their name written down it's either the woman or the man who had the demons or whatever but this is a guy called Jairus and generally when a name is given it's because that individual was well known to either Mark who wrote the um, the, the gospel or to the the early church who knew of this character and so so Mark puts the name in uh, oh Jairus that guy this is the, him it was his daughter you know, he was probably a prominent leader in the, in the church um, after this engagement with Jesus. We're not exactly sure. But anyway, he's called Jairus, uh, likely from a prosperous and influential family. Hence how he got the, the role of being the ruler of the synagogue. Um, and there he was. It says he saw Jesus uh, and he fell at his feet and he begged him. Come and heal my daughter. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well. That word made well has appeared already in this exchange with the woman. But made well is the, the Greek word sozo, which, which is a, a brilliant concept. It, it talks about uh, s- salvation. It talks about healing. It talks about restoration, rather like shalom. It's kind of linked, actually. Uh, but uh, here, so that she may be made well, come and lay your hands on my daughter so that she may receive your sozo, your, your, your restoration. You're saving power. He was desperate. He's kind of at the other end of the, the social ladder to the woman uh, who was bleeding for 12 years, right? He had all the money. She had none. He had all the influence. She had none. He had all the contacts. She was isolated. And yet for him, it was no use either. Jesus is it, he would have thought to himself. He's all I got right now. Anyway, bad news for Jairus. Terrible news. The worst news. During this interaction with the, the woman, it says in verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the ruler's house and said, your daughter is dead. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. Leave him be. There's nothing that can be done now, Jairus. Um, perhaps healing was an option. Uh, but we're past that right now. She's, she's gone. Just imagine for a moment... Being in that scenario, the the bustling crowd, the the stories of healing, the celebration that was taking place at that moment, the fact that Jesus was coming to your house to lay his hands on your daughter, and then being hit with that blow, that that devastation. Sorrow hits you. Look at verse 36. It's intriguing. But overhearing... What was said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. That, that word overhearing, um, I don't know if you have it in the, the Bible you're reading, but the footnote says, or ignoring. So that over, over, overhearing could also be translated ignoring. It's almost as if Jesus heard exactly what they said, but chose to disregard the news, your daughter is dead. He heard it, but he had a different plan. He had a different interpretation, do not fear, only believe. Have faith, because faith in Jesus turns sorrow into celebration. So, so, so he journeyed to the house anyway, and he brought with him his inner team, Peter, James, and John. Don't forget, they're still in training mode. They're, they're, they're witnessing, they're listening, they're taking notes, they're, they're learning how to do it so they might go themselves and, and do Likewise. And, and Jesus and, and, and the three disciples there saw this, this scene of, of commotion, of weeping and wailing loudly, it says. Obviously, some time had passed between the announcement that this child had died and, and, and the gathering of all these people. And most likely, commentators say, the most likely in that mix were, were some who were professional mourners. Yes, indeed, in, in certain non-Western cultures, uh, families or communities would hire in or, or bring in, I suppose, people whose job it was to, to, to lead the mourning, lead the procession uh, for, for grieving for the dead. And that sounds really weird for us. We think it's a, a very personal or individual or, or, or um, intimate thing, and indeed it is. Um, but for those outside of a Western mindset... Um, you're bringing in those to help, help me mourn, help me mourn well. When I can't find words, help me mourn. That's, that's what they did. They brought these people in. So there, there they were, mourning, weeping, making a commotion, mixed in with family members, neighbors, all these people, gathering to express their communal sorrow for the loss of Jairus's daughter. And there's Jesus, again, sort of ignoring all this, it seems to be. Why all the noise, he says. What's going on, you know? She's not dead, she's asleep. And the mourners stopped their mourning and it said they started laughing. Uh, not, not, not laughing in joy or celebration, laughing with scorn, laughing in, in mockery. What, what a ridiculous thing to say. At a, such a time as this, you call yourself the man of God, the healer. Can't you see these people are grieving? After all, they're, they're, some of these are professional mourners, right? They, they know a dead body when they've seen one. And they're, they're hardly likely to turn up to a gig unless it was absolutely certain that the individual had, had passed away, right? She was dead. What are you talking about? So there's Jesus again, ignoring their interpretation. Uh, challenging their assumptions, we could say. Shaking, to use our own language, shaking their world view. Or in other words, he was saying new wine, old wineskins. We've seen that a few weeks ago. I'm coming to bring the new wine of the kingdom. You're of the old wineskins, you can't take what I have to say to you. It's all about how you understand how the world works. And, and in your view, says Jesus effectively, morning is correct. You are right to weep and wail in your understanding, of course, she is dead. But I'm ignoring your interpretation. I'm choosing to ignore it. I'm not listening to that. I'm giving you another interpretation, and here it is. The kingdom of God is among you. That's my interpretation. In the kingdom of God, your response is out of sync. I'm the one who's behaving appropriately. Sorrow belongs in your world. Celebration belongs in my world. And so Jesus put everyone out. He just took with him his inner team of Peter, James and John, the girl's parents and of course the the girl herself or rather the the body. It was a corpse. And what took place after Jesus closed the door behind him was utterly remarkable. Verse 42, sorry, 41, taking her by the hand he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. It's an Aramaic phrase, Talitha kumi. And actually that word Talitha uh, means lamb, literally means lamb, little lamb. It's a, it's a term of endearment. You might call your child lamb or something like that, pet, you know, Bird. Jesus goes for lamb, little lamb, up you get, come on, as if he's rising her from sleep and it says immediately, that word again, immediately she got up and began walking because she was 12 and she could walk, the age of 12, of course she could, let's get her something to eat, says Jesus, she's got to be hungry after all this. And immediately again it says they, that is those who were watching, this corpse get up, rub her eyes and ask for something to eat. They were overcome with amazement. This, this astonishing show of, of, of extraordinary power. Jaws were on the floor. I think it's fair to say that, that in this act of power, this, this resurrection from the dead... Jesus has has reached new levels, I suppose, in his public ministry. He's done healings. He's caused the paralytic to get up. he's, he's, He's cast out many demons. He's even spoken to the winds and the waves, and they obey him. But he has spoken to a dead body, and the dead body has heard his voice and has come back to life. Mastery over the dead, as if he was waking up a child from sleep. I love this bit in verse 43. I find it really perplexing and and confusing, I suppose. He strictly charged them that no one should know about this. I mean, is that, honestly, is that going to happen? Please, you know, I've just raised your 12-year-old daughter. The the whole village are out mourning and weeping. Don't tell anyone about this. Of course they're going to know. Of course they're going to know. I suspect that that probably means that Jesus maybe wanted to, to make a quick getaway or to slip out. Because if they presented her and Jesus was still stood there, no doubt he would be absolutely mobbed and wouldn't, wouldn't move from that place for weeks. Just just give me a chance to get away. I think that's probably what's going on. Anyway, remarkable, remarkable scenes. Now, as we read this together today in 2021, we might be thinking to ourselves, look, this is impossible, right? This, this, is, this is ridiculous. People don't get raised from the dead. It's, it's a universal fact. People do not get raised from the dead. It is, we've never seen it. Uh, we haven't experienced it. Impossible. Maybe, maybe that's... When you, when you read these miraculous reports in Scripture, maybe that's your thinking. But is it impossible? Actually, is it actually impossible? Well, the answer to that, of course, as we've been thinking over the last few weeks, depends on your worldview on the way that you think the world is. If you think that the world, let's say, uh, is, is a closed box, a closed system, that all that can be experienced uh, and all that can be known is within that box. Everything within that box is the sum of, of human knowledge and experience. We're open to scientific inquiry. Everything obeys the laws of nature. And in that system, dead bodies do not rise. Dead bodies are dead. And that's that. We know the process of death, we've seen it billions of times. We know when someone has died, it's obvious, it is irreversible, and of course dead people don't rise within that worldview, within that box of, of knowledge. But what if that isn't all there is? What if that box doesn't contain everything that ever is and was? What if there was a God who created that box? all that is seen and all that is unseen contained within it? What if if that God was was outside of that box and yet created it? And that's how you experience the universe from within the box that you were put into. Imagine if there was a God who who, who created that box and he was therefore free to create and operate within that box at any point that he chose. He, He could interact with it if he wanted to. He could be free to interact. He could dip in. He could show his hand whenever he wanted to. What if that was the case? Then, therefore, at least in theory, it would be possible for the miraculous to happen, for God to reach in and change, let's say, the laws of nature, if he wanted to, for a moment or two, to suspend them. It's not our ordinary experience, but it's possible, if that were the case. But this is our basic faith commitment, is it not? As believers in Jesus, the answer to the question, did Jesus rise from the dead? Was there a resurrection of a man called Jesus from Nazareth? It all hinges on this, right? All of the Christian faith hinges on this. The Apostle Paul said, if Christ was not raised from the dead, your faith, O Christian, would be pointless. And we of all people are to be greatly pitied. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we may as well pack up and go home. It doesn't matter what benefit that gives to your lives right now and the here and now. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, it's all a bunch of baloney. But if he did rise from the dead, and and, and, and the evidence seems to point in this direction, let's say, then Jesus is someone who had mastery over death. And if he's got mastery over death, then could he not also have mastery over the death of this little girl in this story? Can he not also raise other people? Of course, that's, that's the hope. That's the focus. That's the hope of the Christian faith, that death is not the end. We were singing that earlier this morning. Death is not the end. Faith in Jesus turns sorrow into celebration. Finally, I want to say then, uh, hopefully draw this stuff together, faith in Jesus turns potential into performance. Uh, as a, I mean, as a community on mission, right, as the people of God, and even as individuals within that, we, we should probably ask ourselves, how does this apply to us, right? This is great. It's wonderful that Jesus did this all those years ago, but, but how do we actually use this as a church? Um, what should we expect to happen on the basis of what we've just been learning? Should we routinely be raising people from the dead because Jesus has done this? Um, should we be expecting healings in the church? And if so, how frequently? Um, should we actively ask God to heal people or should we just wait and see if he chooses to do it or not? Where do, where do we go? Questions like this um, are really important for us as a community on mission. Let me, let me just give you a bit of a, a steer, ho- hopefully just to provide a bit of context, then we'll start thinking a little more um, practically as we, as we end out. Um, the steer is this. The direction I want to to point you in is this. The mission statement of Jesus. Do you remember what it is right at the start? Uh, Mark 1, 14 and 15. We've already said it today. He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The kingdom is coming. It's at hand. It's near you, right? Repent and believe the gospel. That's the message. And that's the big idea for all of his messages, all of his preaching, all of his actions. The kingdom of God is near and it's coming through me. And in me. That's how you enter it. It's through faith in me, you enter the kingdom of God. The kingdom is here. And so when we see Jesus doing signs and wonders and healings, all of that is to be understood under this big umbrella. The kingdom of God is here. So signs and wonders and healings show what the kingdom looks like. Shows the kingdom. That's what he's doing. He's showing the kingdom. He's saying the kingdom of God is the place where there is no more sorrow, where there is no more shame. where where, where people are made whole, where they are saved, where they receive my sozo, my, my healing power. Death is no more. Sin is defeated and all of its effects are destroyed. That's what he is showing. The kingdom of God is at hand. This is what it looks like. That's what his signs and wonders are pointing to. And so where the kingdom of God comes, where it breaks into our own kingdom, I suppose you could say, we see it. We should see it. We, we hear of it, yes, we hear the message, but we see its effects. We, we see people being transformed when they are moved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of God. We see the effects. We see something different, something change. Where the kingdom of God is, there you will see signs. There you will see evidence of its presence. That's why we see so many powerful signs and miracles in Jesus' ministry and so many powerful signs and wonders in the ministry of the early church. We see that because the kingdom is coming, it's advancing. Notice we say the kingdom is coming advancing it's progressing it's, it's 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 arriving it's breaking in but it's not here in its fullness right we're still we're still in that in-between phase where, where the kingdom is coming but it hasn't come in its fullness that that is for the future that we're awaiting for the the second coming of Jesus to bring the kingdom in all of its fullness and to press it out into every corner of the universe until now we live in that tension right the kingdom is coming But yet we await its fulfilment. The now and the not yet, some people describe it as. This in-betweenness. The kingdom is coming, but we await for it to be completed. Okay, quick summary then. When the kingdom is here, we'll see and experience it, but it's not yet here in its fullness. And that's really helpful then for us to understand how is the church, the community of mission, We come to a text like that, and and how we can then receive it and apply it to ourselves today in the here and now. Two ways. Number one, because the kingdom is here now, we can expect to see healing now. As the church, we can expect to see, by the grace of God, various illnesses and conditions healed by Jesus through the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God is here. And I'm saying that as a doctor, right? I've got uh, a decade and a half of medical training and experience under my belt. I know a thing or two about my profession, and yet I am saying to you that Jesus, through his kingdom, is still in the business today of healing conditions that we can't heal or things we can heal, but he's better at it. still happening today. We can ask God, therefore, we can pray for healing. We can can pray in faith that Jesus still heals today as his kingdom comes. When we say, thy kingdom come, what what are we asking for? We're asking for the reign and the rule of Jesus to be manifest in our day. And we'll see that in signs and wonders, among other things, of course. So... so This is something that we'll be returning to later in the summer, okay, as we do our our, our series on the spiritual gifts and their relevance for the church today. But but I want you to see here, and with our understanding of of, of the kingdom in place, I I want you to hopefully uh, receive this in a way that will build your faith, and grow your faith for what Jesus can do. If Jesus was stood here today, would he heal you? Would he heal people? The answer is yes. Is Jesus with us today? Not physically. Is he with us spiritually through the sending of his Holy Spirit? Absolutely. Remember Pentecost? That means he's with everybody, the whole church, all at one time through the Holy Spirit. Okay, so Jesus is with us spiritually. Therefore, does Jesus heal? Yes, he does. Allow that to build your faith. The same Jesus in Mark chapter 5 is among us today by his Holy Spirit. He's with you. The same Jesus, that same compassion that we see, that same tenderness that we see, it is here today. It is working among us. That same compassion for desperate, ashamed, needy people. That same desire to heal people, to show the kingdom is here with us today. It turns our potential... Into performance, right? We, we've got these ideas, but it, it it challenges us to move forward and start acting them out. What in here, actually, has anyone, you can feel free to respond or not respond, but like, has anyone actually experienced healing or seen it in someone else in their church or in their family? I was at a conference, actually, a couple, probably about two or three years ago, right? And we were sat, um, it was just church leaders and stuff. And we sat with this guy and a few others and were uh, ordering food in, the, in a local pub. And um, s- someone asked for the, uh, oh, do you have like a, a gluten free menu? Because none of this stuff I can eat. And so they, they're like, oh, you know, like they do. And so they came and eventually found this, this menu with like two dry things on it for, for, for gluten free people. He had celiac disease, like documented, blood tested, camera scoped celiac disease. <clears throat> And um, he couldn't even eat the roast potatoes because apparently some of the, the batter in roast, I don't know, some of the batter in roast potatoes can, can contain celiac, uh, you know, um, wheat and can really upset him. So anyway, while they were scurrying around trying to find a menu, someone at our table, um, I'm ashamed to say it wasn't me, but someone at our table said, this is not good enough. Uh, we believe in healing. And um, th- you know, this is rubbish for you, celiac disease. Let's pray right now. And so, of course, I was like, now? Seriously, That's, someone's the, the waiter's going to come back any second now. That's not, you know, Of course. So we started to pray, and um, <clears throat> first one person, then the second person, then I got to pray as well, and um, and the guy, <laughs> the guy, is like, right, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, tr- I'm going to trust God. I'm going to believe your prayers have been answered. I'm going to order those potatoes. So he did. He ordered a completely non-gluten-friendly meal. Right down the whole lot. Um, if you've got celiac disease, you'll know you can do that, but it's only. Uh, several hours later, you'll start to feel the, the effects, right? And it, really, it can really kick in. Um, <clears throat> anyway, that was, that was it. I went home, great conference, came back, got a text from him, his name's Ryan, got a text from him about two or three weeks later just to say, by the way, thanks for your prayer. I want to let you know I haven't had a single symptom since eating that food. And actually got to the, I actually went to the doctor, got them to do a blood test um, to look at the levels of the um, immunoglobulin in my blood. And they were completely normal he said and I, so far I have not had a single symptom I think I've been healed of my documented celiac disease so that's really I was like that's that's brilliant and I was actually like Ooh, I didn't even think that would happen but that's amazing praise God that was celiac disease right it's not raising a dead body but my point is it would encourage me to keep on keeping on keep on praying Jesus is here Jesus can still do this um Praise God. So if you've experienced healing, if you've seen it in other people, have faith. Allow this to build your faith. As I say, we're going to look at that more um, in the summer about how this should operate within the church. Okay, second point. And I'm almost done here. So um, the kingdom is now. We can expect healing. The kingdom is not yet. So let's, uh, let's, let's believe, let's trust. But it means that we won't be seeing widespread resurrections from the dead. So uh, bless you in your earnestness if you want to go off to the nearest mortuary and start praying over dead bodies. Feel free. um, You'll probably get arrested. But um, until Jesus comes again, we're not going to see widespread resurrections from the dead. We're awaiting the return of Jesus for that. It is incredibly rare, even for Jesus. He he raised this little girl. He raised Lazarus in John chapter 11. That, That seemed to be it. Obviously, his own resurrection as well um peter the apostle raised a woman called dorcas in chapter 9 of acts paul raised a young man called eutychus in chapter 20 aside from that there doesn't seem to be a lot of resurrection going on it's incredibly rare even in jesus day in the day of the apostles the kingdom is not yet and so we look for that fulfillment and additionally because the kingdom is not yet that means hear me carefully it means that not everybody in our own experience will be immediately healed the kingdom is not yet In fact, some people will never receive the physical healing that they hope for. The Apostle Paul himself, a great man of of prayer, devotion to the Lord, fruitfulness in the kingdom, himself healed lots of people and even resurrected a dead boy. He prayed for his own uh, chronic disease to be removed from him. He referred to it as the thorn in his flesh. And three times he prayed earnestly, God, remove this, remove this suffering, remove this from me. And each time God said to him in return, no. It's, it's serving a purpose, that chronic condition. We don't know what it was, but it's serving a purpose. It's opening you to more of me. And as long as that's continuing, that stays Not all people who pray for healing will receive it in this age. Yes, we're encouraged to pray in faith for healing. Yes, we're to humbly expect to see healing because Jesus is really among us. Yes, we hope for the day when one day all people will be healed when Christ comes again. Amen. But until then, we operate in this now and the not yet, this tension, knowing that not all people will be healed, not all people will be healed instantly, not all people will be healed completely. But still we pray. John Wimber, um, who's now uh, the late John Wimber, um, he, he used to say, the more we pray for healing, the more we'll see healing. If you don't pray for healing, you won't see healing. So many Christians, we believe that God could heal if he wants to, but we don't actually pray for him to heal in this day and age, at this moment. And maybe we just feel awkward praying for healing we feel embarrassed Um, we feel like we've tried it in the past and it hasn't worked we've we've failed and so we, we give up but let me encourage you this morning folks as we come into a land jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever his compassion continues he's poured out his spirit and never once has jesus ever turned anyone away who comes to him in faith there is not one piece of evidence in the scripture that he ever turns anyone away who comes in faith. So what about you? Is, is, is Jesus prompting you this morning as you listen to this to, to have faith, have more faith? Um, is Jesus saying to you, do not fear, only believe? Maybe, maybe he wants you to have more faith for healing. Understand more of what he can do. Maybe he wants to build your faith. Maybe that's, that's where you are this morning. Um, as, as a church, um, I, 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 we're doing this already in some ways, but I, I think that we need to listen to these sort of teachings and um, get, get better at praying for one another. It's something we do as a community. We pray for one another uh, very frequently which is great but specifically when it comes to, to healing and so my, my specific encouragement to us um, is, that, is that if you hear of a need even as we're, we're doing coffee after the service or something like that and you hear of someone who, who, who has faith or wants healing or needs healing or something like that, just stop and pray there and then Pray in faith. Pray, pray expectantly. Not just offering wishful thoughts into the sky, but praying on the basis of Jesus and his compassion and his presence and his power. The more we pray, the more we'll see healing. just the way it works in the kingdom. Um, may, maybe you are gifted to pray for healing. Some, we're, we're all called to pray one another for healing, um, but, but, but some people are uniquely or specially gifted whereby their prayers are somehow or other, in the grace of God, the grand scheme of things, listened to more frequently, shall we say. Um, so maybe you have that experience too, where, where you have noticed that you, you have prayed for people to be healed, and they have been. Maybe a specific types of, 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 of illnesses you seem to have more, um, let's say, success in. Um, but, but maybe that's you, maybe, maybe you are gifted, or, or maybe that's a gift you want. Maybe you can ask for that gift, but if you are gifted or you just sense that within yourself, then can I encourage you again on the basis of this, use it more, please. Uh, God gives gifts to build a church and to uh, give glory to the the Son. And Finally, as we go out on mission then, we're just talking about within the church at the moment, but as we go out on mission, isn't healing just a wonderful opportunity to share something of the love and compassion of Jesus? Um, so again, as we're going out as, as a community on mission, just look for opportunities. Listen to the Spirit for opportunities as, as you're at work or, or, or whatever you're, you're doing during during the day. If you hear of an opportunity, don't, don't trample all over and say, all right, sit down, I'm going to lay my hands on you. you know, but but just listen and, and gently say, look, I would love to pray for you. I believe in the power of prayer. Would you mind if I pray for you? Um, nine times out of 10, 99 times out of 100, I think, people are going to say yes, because they're like, I'll take it. I'll take this Jesus stuff. If it works, I'll do it. What, 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 what harm can it do, right? That's often the response that people will give you. And go for it. And you get to, look, do you mind if I pray for you just now, you could say. And okay, that's fine, that's fine. And so you might say, look, um, loving Father, Lord God, or something like that. Try, try, try not to make it too, too religious, you know. Um, God, you are our heavenly Father. You love us. Thank you, Jesus, that you have come to save us and to restore us and to bring healing and I pray for Mary over here I pray for this 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 headache or this back pain or this whatever issue it is please would you apply your healing power to her just now I believe you and trust you show her your love show her your power in Jesus name that's all it needs to be something as brief and as simple as that uh, and maybe as you're praying, you might sense uh, the Spirit guiding you to pray for something else. So you might ask, Mary, do you, do you feel any, you know, different? Uh, can you feel anything? And she says, yeah, okay. I, I, maybe, maybe nothing. That's fine. You say, oh, that's okay, I'll keep praying. Or, or you might, if she says, yes, I feel, I, feel, I, feel a, I feel a warmth in my back over that area. You're praying keep praying. Say, so, Lord, thank you. And, and, and keep, please keep, keep, keep your, your, your healing power upon it. That, that sort of thing. So and we'll look at that more in the summer, as I say, uh, and just get some real specific steps that we can take as we pray for healing. Um, I've tried it myself before, by the way. Um, I've tried it once for a friend at work who I who was praying for healing. Took a step of faith, felt the Lord calling me to do it. I did it. Did it work? No. Uh, the healing didn't happen. It was, it was someone's uh, unwell daughter. Well, it didn't happen immediately anyway. She's better now. Um, but yeah, but the thing was, um, when I looked up, he'd sort of crossed himself like that and said, just seemed to be lost for words that someone would pray for him at work, you know. Um, so, so who knows the benefits of, of offering prayer? I, I've chickened out as well when I've really sensed the Spirit saying, pray for this guy, pray for this guy, and I didn't. I backed out to my great shame. Um, so I mess up as much as I, I listen. But I um, just want to encourage you, though, listen out for the Spirit when you're out there, in work, in mission. Um, healing is, is a wonderful way of expressing the love and care of Jesus. Let's pray. Do you want to stand with me?